we're coming to the end of first Peter and I was thinking about it this week and even that is uh, uh, ironically a source of anxiety for me just praying uh, and listening to God as far as uh, what is next and um, honestly even uh, being okay with where I feel like he's leading next and there are some things that God has put on my heart and and just sensing um, and just honestly just being okay with that um, you know fighting just the tendencies even in our own flesh and our own wisdom just competing with God's wisdom and trusting that that he is good and I and I say that as we come to the end of Peter if there are if there are things in the Christian life if there are things that that you feel like we need to address I'm open to praying through things I'm open I want to be open to to God leading and being specific to this family and and where we are and so just pray for wisdom there as far as we finishing out first Peter and and where we're where we are headed next I'm I'm not I'm not one of those guys that's good about, well, I don't feel like I'm good at anything sometimes, but as far as like planning out, you know, what we're going to do, here's this, this, I want to be open to what God is leading. I want to be very sensitive to that. And so just pray for me. And I was thinking about that even this week, about casting all your anxiety upon him of what next. You know, you start a new book and, hey, you for the next two or three months, I know where we're going to be. And uh, when you end that, get to the end of that book, where are we going to be next week? Where are we going to be next week? So just pray for me. But we, I have enjoyed First Peter. And every time, I, uh, every time we get the chance to study these books, at near the end, I always think, man, that's one of my favorite books. That's one of my favorite books. And uh, we saw last week, I think Peter has been, there. it's just so rich, the truths and so rich and just what God is teaching me about my own life, but about life corporately and we saw last week the the role of a shepherd we looked at the fact that we need a shepherd as sheep and and that can be even that simple truth right there can be a humbling reality that you and i need a shepherd our tendency if we're honest our tendency is to think that we're we got it oh i would never stray i'd never wonder Oh, I'd never do that. Listen, I promise you that's what the people who did that, I promise you that's what they thought. Oh, it never happened to them. Oh, oh, I would never do, what does the Bible say? Take heed lest you fall. It says all we like sheep have gone astray. Not only only in, in sin, but even as believers, our tendency is to drift. And we need a shepherd, and that can, be, that can be humbling. We like to think that we can handle everything on our own. We, we, we would like to think that we would not have the tendency to wonder that, that there are certain sins that are outside of our capacity, and that's a lie. The, the reality is the seed of every sin that's ever been committed sits right here inside of me. I'm capable the capacity, even that can be humbling. To, to admit our weaknesses, to, to admit our inadequacies, to, to, to even admit our need for others. The, at the end of the service, we're going to have the privilege of welping, welcoming some families into this church family here as a, as a part of the church at Odessa. Even the, the humbling idea there that we, we need one another. 
that God has gifted all of us uniquely but individually with regards to the body. Whether it be admitting our need for a savior, whether it be admitting our need for some day-to-day task, or you know, whether it's admitting that, hey, it'd be helpful if we had some meals. Hey, can you pray for me? Hey, can you serve me from the day-to-day to, to, the, to the idea of just dealing with God with our sin? Humility. Humility. It's very hard for us, for all of us, to admit that we have a need. That, that we can't do it on our own. And, and this pride especially pops up in suffering, especially in suffering. One of the most crucial lessons that we can learn as believers is, is how to deal with suffering, how to handle suffering. And, and Peter has run the gamut on that. It could, be, it could be physical suffering that just goes with having bodies that are decaying. Paul says our outer body is decaying. That brings suffering. It could be the wages of sin is death. Look, we, we die. People die. That brings suffering. It, it could be problems stemming from your sin. It could be problems stemming from somebody else's sin. Look, we suffer not only because of our own sin, but we suffer because of other people's sin. It could be just the common pressures of, of day-to-day life. It, it could be as a mom or as a dad just just the, 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 the worry of providing for your family on a day-to-day basis or, or the, the, the anxieties that go with sending your kids out in this world every day. It, it could be e- emotional suffering, feelings of inadequacy. It could be a lot of things. But if we don't learn to deal with, these, with suffering and deal with these things, then we won't rightly declare the sufficiency and the excellencies, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, of our great God and King and Savior. It's imperative that we grasp what we look at today, but all of Peter, so that we were equipped to stand firm in the grace of God. That's really Peter's MO in writing this thing, is the grace of God. Stand firm in the grace of God, verse verse 12 of chapter 5. Peter is preparing his readers to be able to do that, to stand firm. And specifically in the issue of suffering. He said in verse 12 of chapter 4, Do not be surprised, brethren, about the fiery ordeal among you, that it's coming for the testing of your faith. It's coming. I think if we were honest, we could say that. You could look to the person to the left of you, and you could look at the person to the right of you and say, listen to me, inevitably suffering is coming. That's probably not why you showed up this morning, but it's true. It's coming. We live in a world that is opposed to God. Even next week, Lord willing, it says, be on guard. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. It's coming. In some form or fashion, it's coming. Or will we be prepared? And with that in mind, Peter offers truths to believers here that we're going to look at. And we're only going to look at verses 6 and 7. Any of these verses you could preach entire sermons on. And there's just great truths here. And I don't want them to miss them. And, and I don't want to brush over these because I think if we, were all, if, we all, if we were honest with ourselves, all of us deal with anxieties. 
And what we see here today, casting all our anxiety upon God because he cares for us, that's a big deal. But listen to me, it flows from humility, and that's what I want us to see. There, there are some rich truths here in verse 6 and 7 that we as believers need to settle. Otherwise, we won't do what we see in verse 7. And the main point, again, the main point, we must be clothed with humility before we are able to cast our anxieties upon God, knowing that He cares for us and that He is able to handle what we cannot. All of this flows from humility. Everything we see here in this context is flowing from humility, as John read earlier. Humility is the central characteristic here, but it's been the central characteristic that we've seen throughout 1 Peter, whether it was your attitude to the government in chapter 2, verse 13, whether it was the attitude we saw last week to church leaders in chapter 5, whether it's the attitude with regards to your marriage, chapter 3, whether it's the attitude towards work, chapter 2, verses 18 and following. All of that, submission and humility. The posture of a believer. Submission, humility. That's the posture. If we're going to see what we see here, and we're going to grasp, and we're going to receive God's grace, our posture as believers has got to be a posture that's categorized with humility. Everything, everything we see here, everything in this letter has been built on that, that humility, that we would clothe, clothe ourselves with humility. Why? Because God is opposed to the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. That, that theme runs throughout the Scriptures. And with that, that, that brings us to the first point you see there on your handout that I want us to see today, that our pride prevents us from humbling ourselves and casting our cares upon God. Our pride keeps us from experiencing God's grace and help in our lives. Why? Because we can think that we can handle what we truly cannot. We think we can handle it. But think about that. Typically, again, here's our attitude. You know, typically we don't really earnestly pray about something until we've exhausted all human resources. Typically, if we're not careful, we have the attitude of like, has it really come to that? You got to pray about it? It's come to that. Listen, all of life has come to that. 1 Thessalonians 5 says pray without ceasing. You know why we don't pray? Because pride. Why we don't call on somebody to help us, namely God himself? Pride. The, the issue is humbly placing ourselves under God and allowing Him to exalt us at the proper time. That's what he says in verse 6. Trusting God no matter what. But pride prevents this. And, and our pride shows itself in many ways. And I want to look at, I want to look at two ways that, that our pride exposes itself and exposes what we're really believing. The, the handout there, two ways that pride exposes itself in our lives. And keeps us from humbling, trusting God. A, there on your handout, pride tells us that we can handle things on our own. So when we realize that we can't handle things on our own, guess what happens? We get anxious. We get anxious. When, when we realize we're out of control, and listen, that's what suffering does. Suffering, suffering more than anything else tells you that you're not in control. You're not in control. And even then, pride tries to tell us that we can handle it. And you'd be amazed how many times somebody's going through something, and I say, hey, can we organize some meals for you? No, 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 I got it. No, you don't. Look, let us feed you. No, no, I got it. 
I got it, Pastor. I got it. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Tonight when you're cooking, you don't have to be. Again, our pride to lift ourselves. You know, do you realize, do you think about the arrogance of that? To lift ourselves up and lower God. To think that we're more capable than God. To tell God, you know what, no, no, I don't need your help. I got this. And in our, in our sinfulness, we try everything possible to not, to not have to humble ourselves. To not admit we need help. And let me, let me illustrate this, and the illustration is going to run through the entire sermon. But suppose you were on a ship and you encountered a very, very fear, fierce storm at the sea. And uh, let's suppose you don't know anything about sailing. You don't know anything about powering a boat. You don't know anything about that. This, the, 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 the captain is a seasoned veteran. He obviously has been trained. He knows what he's doing. It would be the height of arrogance for you to go to the bridge and try to tell the captain how to handle things. Agreed? That would be the height of arrogance. I, I would argue it's the height of arrogance for you to even go up there and watch him as if he needs you to watch him and approve of what he's doing. Even if you shut your mouth, the fact that you think you need to sit up there, uh, Shannon from the Coast Guard's laughing. Imagine if we went up there in the Coast Guard, the bridge, like, hey, have you thought about this? No, because that's a dumb idea. I haven't thought about that, because that would get us killed. The height of arrogance for you to go up and, and, and to try to take the helm. To think you've got it. Pride thinks we're in control when we're not. Pride thinks that we can handle it when we can't. And our flesh hates humility. Hates it. it, it we want to think, and, and we, 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 we want to think that we can handle things no matter what. And we can't. And God may be authoring what you're going through to show you that very point. It might be God's will for you to go through what you're going through just to simply tell you, as we'll see in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 with Paul, that your, your strength is insufficient, but my grace is more than sufficient. That my awesomeness is shown in your weakness. And what does Paul say? Therefore, therefore, I will gladly boast in my weakness if you're exalted. Humility. Pride, listen, pride is not an insignificant thing. You are preventing the flow of God's grace into your life when you exhibit pride. You are telling God, I do not need what you have to offer. I've got this. Think about that. Pride. But, but it also, pride also exposes an attitude that, that says, and you see it in your handout, that we deserve better than the way things have or, or, or are going to turn out. We deserve better. That's what we think. And pride, it's rooted in pride. Not only do we think we can handle it, listen, we think that we deserve better. Well, think about this, and it, this shows up very early in life. One of the, you don't have to teach your kids to say this, but very early in life, if somebody takes what they suppose is theirs, what do they say to you? It's not fair. You didn't teach them to say that. There's something in us 
that has this self... And guess, and guess what? Fair in their terms, who is the center, the, the center of everything in their idea of what is fair? Who does that fair resolve, revolve around? Not the other person. It revolves around who? Me. It's fair in comparison to me. And, and the irony is the person who has the toy that you want, they're thinking the same thing. This is fair. And you're saying this ain't fair. And you know what James says? Where do fights and quarrels come from among you in chapter 4? You want and you do not have. So guess what? You fight and you quarrel even murder. Pride. That we deserve better. You know what you're telling? You know what we're telling God when we say that? We are accusing God of wrongdoing. At the root of that, you're accusing God of wrongdoing. When we, if we say we deserve better, you're accusing God of having made an error. Namely, listen, sin. That he has sinned. That he's messed up. That, that we deserve better. You're, you're, at the very least, you're elevating your worth. You're elevating your own sense of goodness that you deserve better. Well, the Bible says that I deserve death for my sin. You know what God has given me? Eternal life. You know what's not fair? That Jesus Christ had to die for my sins. And yet a sovereign, awesome God was willing to crucify his own son that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord could be saved. That we deserve better? And, and, and think about this. You know, again, not asking for help specifically from God, not accepting things as from God, not allowing God to determine what is good, not allowing his strength to be shown through our weaknesses. It's all pride. Not turning to God because we trust in self. I mean, listen to, again, listen to a couple of, uh, of verses here. Psalm 55, verse 22. The, 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 the character of our great God. Cast your burden upon the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Do we trust that? Cast them. And in pride, we say, no, no, I got this. And he's saying, no, 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 I got this. Isaiah 46, verse, verse 4. Even to your old age, I will be the same. Even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you. I will bear you, and I will deliver you. Humble yourselves under that God. Isaiah 64, verse 4. From the days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. You, you couple just those verses with 1 Peter 5, 7, and here's the truth that you see, and, and, and we've got to get this through our heads. You're talking about weird? You're talking about a God that is so far above every other so-called God? Here, here's what we've got to grasp. You'll see it in your hand now. The difference between the one true God of the Bible and all other so-called gods is this. The one true God of the Bible calls us to allow Him to serve us before commanding us to serve Him. 
You think about the humility of that. You think about the humility of Matthew 20, verse 28, where Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I'm reading a book right now on the, it's called On the Incarnation, and the, the humility of, of God himself, Jesus Christ, to take on flesh. The humility not only to take on flesh, but to die the death of a criminal. To die for sins he never committed. Our flesh, listen, our flesh hates the fact that there is nothing for us to do to earn salvation. There's nothing for us to do to merit God's favor. That, again, for, Paul dealt with this in 1 Corinthians. If we're going to boast, he says in one thirty-one, boast in God. There, he's done it all. And he demands that you allow him to serve you. Now, I'm not saying he's your genie, but he's going to have to forgive your sins, and you're going to have to humble yourself and allow him to serve you if he's going to be glorified in your life. If you're going to receive his grace, you're going to have to humble yourself. Totally destroying our pride, and we hate that. We want to earn it. We want to merit it. We want to think we deserved it. And we didn't. We're not able. God, but God is able. We don't deserve better than what God sovereignly and graciously provides. God alone is worthy of all praise. The essence of His grace and the goodness and the, so the sovereignty. Listen, undeserved. Undeserved merit. Undeserved favor. P Peter is saying humbly admit that and humbly rest in His grace. God opposes the proud and He gives grace to the humble. And pride prevents us from experiencing that grace. But not only our pride, secondly, you see on your handout, our ignorance prevents us from humbling ourselves and casting our cares upon God from experiencing His grace. Why? Because we don't know and grasp God's power nor His love for us. Go, go back to the illustration about the, if you were on a ship and it was at, in nasty seas, and certainly that would be a cause for concern. But if, you're, if you were nervous, if you were nervous and anxious in that storm, your fears would subside if you knew the captain well. Your fears would subside if you knew the competency of the captain. I mean, think about this. How would it affect you if you had a chance to go up and talk to the captain and he explained what he was doing and, and just walked you through it? How would it change your perspective as well if you went up and you knew, you saw, oh, by the way, the captain's got this little thing called a radar. The captain's perception is so much different than yours. The captain knows that you're only going to be in that storm for about two more minutes and then on the backside of that storm is perfectly smooth seas. The captain knows that you want to turn to the right or the left. And you know what he's saying? If we turn to the right or the left, the storm is worse to the right or the left. We're almost through it if we stay headlong where we're going. The captain knows what you don't know. The captain sees what you don't see. That changes everything. The captain has power that you don't have. 
But if we don't know that, if we don't know the captain well, we're anxious unnecessarily. And that ignorance of the captain, that ignorance of our God in this case, causes us to to bear unnecessary anxiety, unnecessary burden, and really oppose His grace. And and again, John John Piper made the following statement, and it's there on your handout. Before you can put yourself humbly under God's mighty hand and character, you have to put your anxiety confidently in God's mighty hand and His righteous character. Know know your God. And this confidence, again, it comes from knowing Him well. It comes from knowing His character. It comes from knowing His promises. To know Him well enough that not only He can handle our casting our anxieties upon Him, but He wants us to cast our anxiety upon Him. I mean, you think about Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, 29. Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. Rest. God desires to give us rest. What we find in Christ is rest. Not anxiety, but it comes from a confidence in Him. And, 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 and anxiety can be sourced in not only an arrogance, I mean an ignorance of the fact that God wants to be our burden barrier, but it's also, but it also in our pride to think that you're number one. You and I are not number one. We're, we're not what it's all about. God and His glory is what it's all about. And you see it on your handout. It glorifies God for Him to be our burden bearer and to do for us that what we cannot do for ourselves. And, and Isaiah in chapter 40, he came to that conclusion. Interest, he says in Isaiah chapter 40, I would encourage you on your own to read chapter 40. It's all about the grace of God. I mean the greatness of God in Isaiah 40. But this is a conclusion that Isaiah comes to in Isaiah 40 verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? You know the song, There is none like you? Here it is, right here. There's none. None like him. There's no, no God, no God like that that says, I'm gonna, let me serve you. Let me serve you and be your burden bearer. No, every other so-called God out there, you know what they say? Serve me, serve me, serve me, serve me. And here it is, the God of the Bible, the one true God of the Bible is saying, no, no, no. Let me serve you first. Let me take on your burdens. Let me bear your burdens. But how do we do that? Every single person in here, why don't we do that? Every single person in here has two doubts. You'll see it. At least two doubts. No matter the source, no matter, during suffering, here's two doubts. Number one, we doubt God's sovereign control. Is he sovereign? Is he in control? Did God lose control? and, And all throughout the Bible, here's what the Bible says. The answer to that is no. Go to Job. God was totally sovereign, totally in control at all times. 
Go to, go to Joseph, Genesis 50, 20. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I love that passage. It's really a summary of, of just God's sovereignty throughout the Bible. Man's responsibility, God's sovereignty running parallel. Listen, Joseph didn't minimize the intentions of his brothers. He didn't say, hey, don't worry about it. You guys messed up. He said, no, no, you meant it for evil. You wanted me dead. You chose, you chose to try to kill me. And yet, unbeknownst to them, there was a God who was sovereignly taking Joseph to the king's palace so that at the right time, in the right place, he could feed his family. Joseph, he didn't minimize their sin, but there was a God that was sovereign. Did Joseph suffer? Yes. Was Joseph forgotten? Yes. Did Joseph not see his father die, and was he robbed of time with his father whom he loved deeply? Yes. And yet God was totally sovereign, was kicking him to a place where he could provide for an entire nation. God wasn't out of control. You meant it for evil, but God meant it. For good, not for one second was God out of control in Joseph's life. Think about Jeremiah 32, 17. Oh, Lord God, you had made the heavens by that outstretched hand. Nothing, nothing is too difficult for you. Think about Luke, Luke 1, 37. Mary and the virgin birth and Elizabeth and all that. You know what he says? Nothing will be impossible with God. Do we believe that? Do we trust that? Do you know that about God? Do you doubt his sovereignty? Do you doubt his power? But secondly, we doubt his love. Does God love me? The answer is yes. Why? Because he loves you in Christ. That's what Paul speaks to in Ephesians 3.20, that you'd know the height and depth and the, the breadth of God's love for you. The one thing you can't doubt is God's love for you. If you ever doubt God's love for you, believer, look at the cross and remind yourself, I'm for you, not against you. God is for you, not against you. Look at the cross. He who did not spare his own son for you, how will he not also with him freely give you all things? Romans 8. He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. Hebrews 13, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Max Lucado said the following about God's love. Listen to this. God's love never ceases. Never. Though we spurn him, ignore him, reject him, despise him, disobey him, he will not change. Our evil cannot diminish his love. Our goodness cannot increase it. Our faith does not earn it any more than our stupidity jeopardizes it. God doesn't love us less if we fail or more if we succeed. God's love never ceases. That's weird. You know why? Because you and I don't love that way and the world doesn't love that way. God's love for us is weird. That's why we have a hard time understanding it. Even in 1 John chapter 3, John writes, Behold, what kind of, what manner of love has God shown to us in this, that we would be called children of God? I've said it before, but behold, what manner of love? Literally in the Greek, what he's saying is, what foreign kind of love is this? God's love is totally foreign to us in its, in its greatness in its stability, in its perseverance. We don't, because, why? Because it's, it's based on his character. It's a reasoned out love. And, and Peter, 
here in chapter 5 addresses both of these issues in verses 6 and 7. Listen, in verse 6, Therefore, humble yourselves under the what hand of God? The mighty hand of God. Peter says to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That word means strong. That, That word literally means almighty. It's tied to the Exodus, back in Exodus, when when God rescued his people from Pharaoh and delivered them from slavery in Egypt. That's where that word is is coined from. It takes them all the way back there. Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Don't doubt his sovereignty. Don't doubt his strength. But Peter also addresses our second care of whether God loves us, because what he says, casting all our anxiety upon him, why? Why? Because he what for us? He cares. He cares. God cares for us. God's love for you, God's love for me, believer, is a reasoned out love. It's not an emotionally based love. It wasn't based on our goodness. It wasn't based on our worthiness. It's not uh, dependent upon whether it's reciprocated. He has chosen to love us. Again, knowing everything, as Daniel said this morning, knowing everything there was to know about us. There, there's a song that, that I love. I, I listen to it about once or twice a day, probably, by Torrin Wells right now, and it's called Known. And he, and he, and he, he makes this statement, and, and I've shared with you, I, I'm pretty particular about words. I care about the words. And he makes this statement about God knowing us, and he says it's two things. It's a hard truth. But it's also ridiculous grace. He says it's not one or the other. It's a hard truth and it's ridiculous grace. God knows you fully well, believer. He knows you better than anyone else knows you. And yet, He loves you. nothing you're going to do or not do is going to catch him by surprise. He's not going to discover something about you tomorrow that says, oh man, if I'd have known that about Chris, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, he knew. And yet, he still crucified Jesus Christ on my behalf as my substitute. That's a hard truth to realize, but it's also a ridiculous grace. It's a reasoned out love. To be loved regardless of our worth, that's humbling. To be loved regardless, even, even in the midst of our lack of worth, even in the midst of what God knows about me. Listen, I don't like half the time what I know about me, and I don't know the fullness about me. Where did that attitude come from, Chris? Where did that thought come from, Chris? And yet God loves me. We need to know these truths. We need to remember these truths. We need to keep our minds fixed on these truths. And the word, because again, what Satan wants to do through our anxieties, what Satan wants to do from the things of the world is to divide us. The word there, anxieties, literally means to divide. Isn't that what anxieties do? They get our minds off the truth of God, and they get our minds off a of truth, and they get our minds on lies. They get our minds off things that are stable onto things that are unstable, and we're divided. Literally what the word means there. Satan does not want your mind fixed and stayed on the things of God. So what he does, he, he gets you distracted. 
Why? Because Isaiah 26.3 says, He is at perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on thee. So let's just get their mind off of the goodness of God. Let's get their mind off the, the sovereignty of God. Let's get their mind off the truthfulness of God. And let's get, it, let's get it on stuff. Let's get it on circumstances. What Peter is saying is that there is peace and there is power in the midst of suffering. And they come through fixing your minds on God's strength, but also his character. Understand that he's sovereign. Understand that he loves you. Understand that he opposes the proud, but he offers grace to the humble. Our pride prevents us from experiencing that grace, but our ignorance does as well. And, and, and the response to that is, is really verse 7, and that's number 3 on your, on your handout. In response to that, our humility, through an understanding of God's power and who God is, enables us. Humility is what enables us to cast our cares upon God. Humility. Again, everything about this passage is linked to humility. Even what we're going to see next week that the, in verse 8, that the be of sober spirit, on the alert, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's humbling. To know that every day, listen to me, you go even back to Job. God says to Satan, what, what you been up to? Oh, I've just been perusing the earth looking for somebody to devour. What? God says, have you considered my servant Job? I'm like, hey, can you not consider your servant Chris? Keep me out of those conversations. Satan prowls around. Listen, he wants to devour your kids. He wants to devour you. He wants to devour your neighbor. If that doesn't sober you up, like 1 Peter says, if that doesn't humble you, that listen, there is an enemy prowling around every single moment of every day, and he wants to destroy you. At the very least, as a believer, he wants you not to enjoy the salvation that God has granted you. He may not be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, but he'll get you to not sense that love of God that is in Christ Jesus and not experience that sonship and enjoy the sonship. That, that ought to humble us. The very act, Peter says, the very act of casting our cares upon God is, a, is an act of humility. You know what you're saying? I can't take this. I can't handle this. The picture there, literally, if you go to Luke 19.35, the same word is used, and it's literally they took their bags off of themselves and they placed them on a donkey. You see the picture there of your anxieties? They, they, they put them, they threw their coats, same word. It's literally taking, uh, taking a heavy weight off yourself that you can't bear and you're placing it on someone else who is able to bear it. Ironically, again, the picture of the gospel and how we are to live that out in our lives, in, in our lives amongst each other. Galatians 6.2, you know what it says about believers? That we're to bear one another's burdens. It, it, the beauty there is this. We're to do for others what Jesus Christ has already done 
for us. Bearing one another's burdens. No, nobody in this church body ought to go through something alone. But here's the, here's the humility. You got to let us know. You got to ask. You got to humble yourself. That, that's the beauty of, of, what we, of, of why we gather. That's the beauty of a body. There's something, there's something amazingly unique about a bunch of Christians getting together once a week and looking just, just to look around the room and realize, if nothing else today, look around the room and realize this, you're not alone. You're not alone. Even the significance of what we're going to do in a moment of inviting of, of others joining this body. There is a, you, this sounds weird and every time we do this, people struggle with it. But there is, there is a privilege but also a responsibility to calling yourself a member of a local body. 1 Corinthians 5, he, Paul says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. We're going to be careful. We're going to be mindful of protecting the, the, the unity of what's going on here. Do we want you to be a member? Absolutely. Under the right circumstances. You don't think Satan would love to send some people in here. And cause, cause unrest and, and disunity. Sneak in some people. That's all we're saying. We want you to join. If you understand the, the responsibility. And the privilege that comes with being a member. Because listen. I, I represent you. You represent me. That's humbling. But God enables, listen, God enables us to, care, to bear our burdens. That's part of the reason we're a body. To Even God does that for us through one another. That's what I'm trying to say. One of the ways that God bears our anxieties and our burdens is by giving you a family of brothers and sisters who can bear your burdens for you. But you're going to have to ask. You're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to admit that you're weak. Admit that you're not able at this moment. Admit that, that you're not capable. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 that when in that weakness you find great strength. Why? Because Christ's strength is greater than yours. And the strength of these 200 and whatever people here today are greater than yours. The strength of this body is greater than just any one of its parts. One of the ways that God does, uh, God bears our burdens and our anxieties is by giving us a body, a church body. And every single one of y'all are immensely important in doing exactly what Peter is saying here, helping one another with their burdens. And it's interesting that he says cast. And you see it on your handout. In order for you to receive this promise or realize this promise, you're going to have to act by faith. You're going to have to act by faith. And that's the way it is so often in, in, in the Word of God with, with regards to the promises of God. You're going to act, have to act in faith. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Faith. You're going to have to expose yourself. You're going to have to, uh, to, to make yourself vulnerable to, to, to look. Are we, going to let, are we going to fail sometimes? Yeah, we're going to fail sometimes. But hopefully we win a lot more than we fail. 
And that's where forgiveness comes in. Because when we do fail, we forgive each other and we, we try to get it right. But even there, again, the glory goes to God. I mean, the thought of no, the thought, the humbling thought that God cares about your burdens today. That God cares what's burdening you today. That He invites you, as Hebrews says, to barge in at any time. Lay your cares and your burdens down at His feet. And again, 1 Peter 5, 7, you see it on Hannah, is a provision to not only rid ourselves of anxiety, but allow ourselves to be bold in the face of trials, knowing that God wants to carry your burden. And that's weird. Strength and humility? Lose your burdens by telling other people about them? Listen, admitting we're messed up? Admitting we need help? Doing things for other people that nobody notices and you're not going to get the praise for? Helping the nobodies of this world that nobody else cares about, knowing that nobody's going to see you do it, and trusting God to see you do it? That's humbling. And yet God has said, that's exactly what I've called you to. Even that can cause anxiousness. Nobody knows I'm doing it. That's exactly the way it should be. That's exactly the way it should be. Matthew 6 says, you do your stuff for the praise of men, that's all the praise you're going to get. Cast your anxieties, whatever they are. And humility enables us to cast our cares upon God. It enables us to, to, to obey no matter the persecution, no matter the cost. Why? Because God is able and God cares. And again, you see it on your handout. Knowing this adequacy in God and the adequacy, the inadequacy in ourselves enables us to cast, give it over. I mean, think about this. If I walked up and you said, hey, here's my donkey in this case of Luke 9, and it was this scrawny, nasty thing, and you knew that you put your bag on it and that donkey was going to collapse to the ground. My point being is if you serve a wimpy, puny God, if that's your picture of God, you're not going to give him your burdens. But if you understand the God of the Bible of God as God has revealed himself to be, you'd be foolish not to give him your burdens. He wants them. The irony is, as Matthew tells us in the Gospels, that he already knows before you even ask him. That's, that's humbling. Think about that. So me not telling him what he already knows, me not giving him what he already knows, you're, hello. Humble. And if we're confident, listen, that God is able, if we're confident that He cares for us, then we can humbly yet boldly cast our cares upon Him. And again, see the connection between the humility but also the peace. Not as the world offers it. Philippians 4, Paul says, casting our anxieties on Him and the peace of God which, which transcends all understanding, he says, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of just handing it over. And the result of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, admitting we can't handle it, is a confident peace. You see it there. God had and God would permit this suffering to touch Peter's readers. That's humbling. 
And yet they had to learn to submit themselves to God no matter what. Why? Being confident in who he was and being confident that he cares. My challenge, believer, and even unbeliever, is to believe this promise today. To act upon it. God will be, act on behalf of his people. It won't always look like what you wanted it to, how you think it should have looked like, or what you, but God acts. He wants to act on behalf of his children. And nothing, listen, nothing shows this like the gospel of Jesus Christ shows this. In Christ, we see the almighty hand of God delivering us from sin and its power and penalty through the death of a substitute. Literally, in salvation, see what we're doing. I'm casting my sin, I'm casting my anxiety, that sin that causes separation between a sinful me and a holy God, I'm casting it on God. And in return, guess what he gives me? His righteousness. That's the gospel. But in order to receive grace, listen, if you refuse to admit your sin, you know what? God continues to oppose you. If you humble yourself and you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. And, and so it is with the rest. I mean, are we really going to be a people who will give him our sin but not our daily cares? Do you think if he's not able to bear my sin that he's not also willing, again, to bear my daily cares? The gospel is at stake here in the sense of representing it before a watching world. God serves us before we serve him. Faith is, is admitting, faith in Christ is admitting I can't make my way to God. I can't overcome sin and its penalty on my own. I need a substitute. I need an intermediary. And the gospel is, is God's picture of how he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And yet, the humility of faith in God through Christ empowers us to live as free men and women under the rule and reign of our king. And the peace of knowing that we're under the rule and reign of a God who is able, but also a God who loves us. To be at peace, not only at peace with each other, but more importantly than that, to be at peace with God. That's what Romans 5.1 says, that, that the gospel brings peace with God. He wants, God wants to take our anxiety. He's glorified in a child, a children who are free from anxiety. Why? Because they have one who bears it for them. God is able and he wants to empower us to stand firm no matter what we face. And he does that. One of the ways he does that is by bearing our anxieties. And you see that on your handout, the last one. Allow God, my challenge for you today is allow God's personal concern for his children to overcome. You could put overpower our personal concerns of this world by casting them on him who is able and who cares. Listen, God is neither unaware nor unconcerned about you today. Cast your anxieties upon him.